Well, as you can hear, I came back from another week of camp, so <laughs> my voice is a little shot this morning. Um, uh, so let's pray. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. Let's pray as uh, we open up this morning. Lord, we are thankful. We're thankful for Christ. We're thankful for that, that you are a great God, that we can worship and praise. Lord, I pray that even uh, through my weakness and the weakness of my voice, uh, the weakness even of my own sin, that um, we'll be seeing your gospel, we'll see Christ uh, as so powerful. I pray that the, the truths of your word um, will be made clear and that my voice won't be a distraction this morning and uh, that we'll just be able to rejoice together and, and have joy in just who Christ is. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Philippians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 19 through 30. When I was growing up, I had this t-shirt on the top left there. Basketball is life. The rest is just details. Does anybody remember when these shirts were super popular? Like, like junior high years, high school years, somewhere around there. And um, I remember they were the, the big craze. that started with just like sports. Uh, then they became even more popular. We see bowling is life shirts. Life is life. Sure, it's probably just somebody trying to be funny. Um, but the purpose of these shirts were to share with everybody who sees you what you're all about. And so originally, uh, growing up, basketball was life. I was all about basketball um, because I grew up in Indiana. I mean, it's the basketball state. And then as I got older into my high school years, I started getting into more into tennis. So of course, I had to get the tennis is life t-shirt. The rest is just details. So I wanted to share with everybody who I was and what I was all about with this is life, the rest is just details, but it became so popular, they just started coming up with all sorts of uh, different ones to branch out. I mean, I'm sure there were probably like picnics are life, the rest is just details. I'm sure there was one like hammocking is life, the rest is just detail, or camp sausage is life, the rest is just details. You can ask Carly about the camp sausage, she still holds the record. 14 camp sausages in one morning. It's impressive. Good job, Carly. It still held the record even through this last week, so it's still safe. So if you were to be pinned down, if you were to have a t-shirt that had a blank spot uh, right before the is life, what would you put there? What is your life all about? Blank is life. The rest is just details. What would you say is your life? Now, we all know what the right answer is, because we all know the verse that's going to be coming up. It's a very popular verse. So we all know what we should say, but the question is, what would you say? Maybe an even harder question would be, what would your family members say is in that spot of this is life, and the rest is just details? Or maybe coworkers, what would they say about you? What is your life really, truly all about? and everything else is just details. Would your answers be different? We know the right answer, but what is actually your life all about? Our big idea for this morning is that in life or in death, Christ is our greatest joy. We need to understand that even though as, as great as uh, basketball is, as fun as it is, or tennis, or even camp sausage is, it is not, there's no joy in this earth. There's nothing in this earth that we can have greater joy than in Christ 
or to be even doing those things in Christ. So we need to see Christ as our greatest joy. So have you ever been torn between two awesome decisions? I used to watch The Price is Right growing up. Um, when I was in, uh, going up through fourth grade, I was homeschooled. And so what me and my brother, we did, we uh, tried to get our school finished before 11 o'clock because that's when The Price is Right came on. So we finished our school, we eat an early lunch, watch The Price is Right, and then we would bid against each other on the items and whoever got closest would get that item. And we kept the list of all the items that we would like win throughout the entire school year. And so I have like 34 cars, you know, 12 appliances. I've got a lot of trips to over in Europe that I still need to take. Haven't gotten there yet. We, got, we watched it way, way too much. But it was, it was a lot of fun getting to the showcase showdown. They're presented with two great choices. One of them was usually a trip somewhere. Um, obviously, that one there is probably a bedroom set that went with it. Um, they trip or to Europe or the Caribbean or something like that. And the other one is always a car. There's always a car in one of them or a truck or some sort of vehicle that you would want. But there was nobody who got to the showcase showdown. And they was presented with the two options. And they said... I'm good. No thanks. I think I'll be fine with what I have. Think I'm very content in some of my circumstances. No, there are two great choices, but you had to pick one. Do you want the trip or do you want the car? It's a good choice. Let's look at verses 19 through 23. We're going to see Paul here who has a couple good choices here in front of him. Believe it or not, there are two great choices. He says, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be at all ashamed. And that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So in verse 19 there, he's saying that this is, he knows that it's going to turn out for his deliverance. What Paul is saying is that he does know what his future holds. What he is not saying is that he knows he will not die. He's not saying that he knows he's not going to die in prison. Because in verse 20, he says, whether by life or by death. He's not 100% guaranteed that he's not going to die in prison. But the indication here is that this deliverance that he's referring to is one that he wasn't even sure of, but he knew it was going to happen. He's either going to be freed from prison uh, physically while he's still alive and returned to the Philippians, or he's going to be freed from prison through his death, and then he's going to be with Jesus. Either way, his trials will come to an end. They are temporary at some point uh, in our life. They are going to end. And that really is how it works for each and every one of us, right? Whatever trial we're in, it's going to be over at some point, whether here in this life or whether we die and are with Christ. So he has this great desire to be with Christ. He sees that as being the better and greatest joy of being with Christ he sees the, what's going on with the Philippians. He understands uh, what they're going through. He knows that the gospel is being uh, proclaimed even while he's in prison, and he's doing a great job at sharing Christ with others. 
He says it's still far better to be with Christ. It's far better, even though there's a great work to be done here. In verse 22, he says, there's fruitful labor for me, even right now. If I'm going to still stay on living, there's fruitful labor. But really, ultimately, the greatest end is being with Christ. So let's think about this for a minute. For to me, verse 21, it's a very popular verse. You probably know it very well. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This verse does a great job of packing a lot of theological truth with a bit practical application. To be with Christ, that is better. But to live now, to live now is so important for us to live for Christ. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to live for Christ, is there a better way to live? Is there something else that should be on our t-shirt other than Christ? Can you find real, true joy in things that do not last? In money, in sports, or in our work? Can we find true joy in those things that are temporary? Can we find the greatest joy and happiness in our own sin, rebelling against God? Kind of say it this way, can you be an unfaithful husband to your wife and still have a joyful marriage? You cannot. When we're pursuing the things of the world, we cannot find the true joy that God has for us. Now, God has given us many things in this world to have joy in. And we were just at camp and we were reminded of so many wonderful things that happen at camp. There's zip lining, there's jumbo dog. I mean, there's all sorts of fun things that God has given us to enjoy together. But to have the greatest joy out of that, we need to be doing it all in Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're going to have true joy in those things. And so as he looked at his circumstances, he knew that his life was really going to go one of two ways, life or death. He, both, he saw both of them as a plus. Great choice for him. There's death, and then he's face to face with his Savior. And how great is that? Do you ever think about that, being with Jesus? I know sometimes I think about that when, usually when things are going bad, right? When life is difficult, I'm like, take me, Lord, right? Come back now, please. Get me out of this mess, kind of talked about that last Sunday night when we were talking about how we don't think, when we don't think well in our trials, we just want to get out of them, right? We just want to get out of the trials as fast as possible instead of trying to know, understand what God wants us to learn from it. But do you think about being with Jesus when things are going really well in life, when you're being successful, when everybody's getting along in the family and you're like, oh, take me, Lord. It'd be far better to be with you. Do you think about that? Do you consider how being with Christ is really Truly a great joy. I hope we see it. He says that uh, it's his desire, whether it's in his life or his death, whatever happens to him, he says he doesn't want to be ashamed, verse 20, and he wants Christ to be honored in his body. Let's see in verses 24 to 26, the joy in seeing Christ at work. Look with me at verse, I'll start back in verse 23. So he's hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now back to Price is Right. Right now, Paul is choosing the car. That's what he's choosing. Instead of the trip, he's going for the car. He's choosing what is most practical and what is most helpful for the Philippians, which is always a good choice. Choose the car in case you're ever on the show. Always go for the car. So he's seeing what's most helpful for them. He understands that to remain in the flesh is necessary for them to help them to grow in their walk with the Lord. He is convinced uh, that they need not him per se. It's not just that they need the apostle Paul in order for them to grow in Christ, but he sees the necessity of being with them because of their great love for one another. He wants to be with them so desperately. And he says, even for him coming, it's going to give them ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Now, this word ample is one of those weird words that if you say it over and over and over again, it starts to sound like you're not saying it correctly, and it's really weird. Don't try that now. Try that on your drive home. But ample is a word that carries with the idea of abounding and all-sufficient, that it's overflowing. So this overflowing glory goes to Christ. So Paul isn't saying to them, I need to be with you because if, you, if I'm not there, you're not going to learn about Jesus. There's no way for you to grow without me there. It's all about me, guys. He's not saying that because all this ample glory goes to Christ. All the glory, all the praise goes to him. He's like, if I'm there with you, you're going to glory in what God has done because it's, it'd be a miraculous thing for him to be released from prison for them, him to be back with them. And they know that they would just glory in the joy together of Jesus Christ. But also, there's not going to be any room for any glory for themselves. Because if you saw back in verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, it will turn out for my deliverance. So if Paul's able to come to the Philippians, then they're not going to be able to say, Ooh, it was my prayers that did it. I am an awesome prayer. I'm, we need to have 10 more prayer meetings in order to do it because if I just have my prayer and my prayer meetings, then I can accomplish everything I want. God will do what I say if I have my prayer. No, it's all glory goes to Christ and that we see that even God works through prayer. So he's trying to help them to understand that if, I come, if Paul comes back to them, that it's not all about Paul. It's not all about the wisdom that he has. And if Paul comes back to them, it's not all about, it's because they prayed. It was all on them. He says, all glory, all praise goes to Jesus Christ. You praise the Lord that God worked through those prayers. You praise the Lord that God works through Paul to help them grow in Christ, to help them progress in that joy in the faith. It all goes to Christ. It's not about them at all. We want to see Christ at work. In Romans chapter 5, 3 through 5, he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So do you see how God uses suffering to progress us to the point of hope and doesn't put us to shame? It's not other individuals that are forcing us to grow. It's God's work in us to help us grow. 
It's, and we're pointed back to God's love that has been poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And so that's why we can rejoice in our trials and our sufferings, because of the work of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you come, have been coming up to me the last few weeks, and I appreciate this, and over the last, even the last few years, that when I have the opportunity to preach, that you say, wow, you've gotten a lot better. And no, it's... <laughs> I'm not taking like, any offense at that. I, I appreciate the, the compliments, and that's very kind of you, but I'm thinking a lot of you remember, because I first preached when I was here 13 years ago, and I, was, I remember just being like, okay, I'm going to do this. Every now and then I might check to see if you're still there, and then I'm back to my notes like this. I've done, I've, I, hopefully I have done better in, in preaching as um, the years have gone on, but, but I hope that in that, that we don't see that it's, oh, Pastor Matt's been working on his preaching, and he's doing it. Good job, Pastor Matt. That you hopefully, I hope you see Christ at work. That's, that's the desire. That's, that's the goal is to see Christ at work in my life. And, and I hope that's true for you as well. I've seen many of you grow as well. Um, I, I've seen a lot of you grow in your love for Jesus over all these years. And I hope that we're pointing each other back to that, not back to well, business is doing well, or families are together, or things are going well relationally with one another. And, but we say, look at what God has done over the years. Look at how God has been at work. And then we give all glory and all praise to the Lord. So it's easy to see those kids who have, uh, we've seen like in children's church, and then are in teenagers, and then are college kids and young adults and then getting married and then having their own kids and all of that. And we've seen, it's easy to see how God has worked in their life from immaturity uh, to maturity in just their overall just adulthood. It's easy to see the progression of their knowledge and love for the Lord grow in that sense. But for those of you who have been an adult for maybe a couple decades, maybe a few decades, have you seen Christ at work in your life? It's easy to spot it when a kid, someone goes from a child to an adult, right? That's really easy to see the maturity there. But have you seen the maturity and growth in your own spiritual life over the last five years? Can you look back five years and say, here's what I thought about God, how I felt about the gospel, and here's how I do it now. And there's growth there. I love him more. I love Christ more. The gospel is more, more under, I understand it better and I love it more and I want to share it more than what I did five years ago. Can you look back a year? Even in just a year, maybe even just a few months, do you see Christ at work in your lives? Do you see any progress in your faith, any joy, a greater joy that's there? If you do, give all praise and glory to God. Don't think, well, because I studied, I'm something. Give all glory back to God. For he has done a mighty work in your life. We should praise the Lord for that. And I encourage you to, to say something to somebody else that you've seen grow in the Lord. Encourage them. Say, hey, I've, you know, you're, you've really grown in your walk with the Lord, haven't you? You're, much a, you're a much kinder person. The things that you're saying are, they're, they're just seem more mature. You're talking about the Lord more. Encourage one another in seeing how Christ is at work. And give ample glory. Ample, we have ample cause to glory in Christ. Then we have this joy in living for Christ. There's such joy in living for Christ. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you again, see you or am absent, 
I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them that their destruction of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Verses 19 through 26, Paul has been kind of talking about himself, his, his feelings, his thoughts, uh, how he, his desires that he has to, to, to be with Christ is great, but to, to be with you is necessary. And now he's turning it to them and saying, okay, for you, make sure that your manner of life is worthy of the gospel. He's turning to them to, to make sure it's clear to them why they are actually living. Who, who is their life? Who are they living for? This idea of worthy, being worthy of the gospel, is not as if we need to earn now this salvation. Well, God saved us. Now we need to start working to pay him back. Um, that's why we need to be cautious against saying that what we owe to Jesus, as if we're now in a process of working back our salvation. If we do enough good things, then we will have earned it in the end. Because we cannot do that. You guys remember the movie Saving Private Ryan? It came out, super popular movie years ago. I'm going to tell you, give you a spoiler, but you should have seen it by now if you were going to see it. Um, but the, the, this guy comes in. I should have, uh, should have remembered his name, but I didn't. Sorry. So the guy comes in to save Private Ryan, to get him out of World War II, because all his other brothers have died. And so they were going to bring him home, and he just had a free ticket to, to get out of there. But the guy that went around trying to find him finally dies at the end, and he tells Ryan, he says, earn this. Earn this. And then it fades to the end where this private Ryan is now uh, at the end of his life, and he's an older man, and he says, I sure hope I've earned it. I tried. I worked at it. He's basically saying, I've lived my life now to hopefully earn this salvation that he received. When we see this living your life in a manner worthy of the gospel, we don't have to live our life just thinking, oh man, I gotta, I gotta pay him back. Because do you think we can pay back the son of God who took on the sins of the world? Do you think we're going to be able to do that? When he says live your life worthy of the gospel, it says it needs to be a reflection of it. This gospel that has saved you from their sins, your life needs to show that. Your life should be, be worthy of that. We're not going to be perfect in this life. That's not going to happen. But when people see us, they should see this gospel. John MacArthur says it this way, still using his stuff, by the way, because just in case you're wondering. When the unsaved looked at the church, look, when they look at the church and do not see holiness, purity, and virtue, there appears to be no reason to believe the gospel it proclaims. I'll say that again. When the unsaved look at the church, they, when they look at us and they don't see holiness, purity, and virtue, there appears to be no reason to believe in the gospel it proclaims. That's why our lives need to show this gospel our lives need to be reflecting and worthy of this gospel so that people see us and they see that there's something different. We're living our lives in a different sort of way. And so then let's get, look down now into verse 28. 
in 29 and 30. He talks about this uh, suffering that he's gonna go, they're going to go through. He says there's opponents that are out to get you, and it's a clear sign of their destruction. There are people, there might even be people inside their church that are out to get them to disrupt this gospel. Now, these were Roman citizens here in Philippi. Uh, this city had just recently become uh, an, um, taken over by the Romans, so they have Roman citizen, citizenship, and they're very thankful for it, but it didn't mean that they weren't going to endure persecutions. I don't know if you ever had somebody who's an opponent. Have you ever had anybody against you, like you knew they were against you? When I was in sixth grade, I had the, there was a kid who was bigger than I was, believe it or not, because I was such a thin, small kid. I was. I was tiny. And uh, he said he was going to beat me up after school. I was very concerned about this, obviously, so I went to my brother and I said, Dave, can, you, can I stand with you after school? Uh, please. He was in eighth grade. We're in the same building. It's like, can I stand with you after school? And he's like, no. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. So school's out, and we have sections that we stand in, sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders. And so I'm in my sixth grade section, he's in the eighth grade section. Um, so the kid was in my class, and so I'm like standing against the wall trying to be really cool, you know, it's like whatever, no big deal. And so I'm like looking around. And then I see my mom pull up, you know, I just, I felt like I just like dove through the window and I'm like, go, go, drive, drive, drive. And she's like, we need to pick up your brother. I'm like, leave him. It's not worth it. <laughs> and so the, the worst part is that he never beat me up. He never did. And that was the worst part because for days on end, I would think, is this the day? Maybe he forgot. Maybe he got too busy with beating up other people. I don't know. But is this the day? And even now, I don't, I, I'm still not, just now getting over this because I don't know if he's back there or not. But it was terrible. Having that person knowing they, they were against me, it made me think different things. It made me live my life differently knowing I had an opponent. I would be cautious. I would be nervous every time I walked by him in the hallway. Is he going to beat me up now? What's he going to do? We have, there's opponents to the gospel. Did you know that? That there are opponents to this gospel, even here in America? There are people who are against this truth. So that means they're against you. He's saying, live your life worthy of the gospel. He says, don't let these opponents make you live differently. Don't let them have you think differently, and even in your feelings. Don't let them make you feel different things to change your course of life. He says, live according to the gospel. Live your life worthy of the gospel. He says, yes, there's going to be opponents. Yes, there's going to be suffering. He says, don't be frightened of any of it. And here's what he says. We're gonna, we skipped over this for a reason. At the end of verse 27, here's how he says to go against this, to, to fight against those opponents, to, how to stand up against them. He says to stand firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now we can understand why he mentions to have unity and to be side by side with each other for the gospel because of the opposition, because there are people out there to get us, not maybe us per se, but to get our savior, to go against him. So if persecution was coming for them, they needed to unify together, and that's how they'll hold strong. 
That's how they can live their life worthy of the gospel if they're doing it together with one another. And I really believe that these verses highlight church membership, the need uh, for a Christian to be joined together with other believers. It is not that this this Calvary Baptist Church, our local church, needs to fill more roster spots, and that's why we need members. But this Calvary Baptist Church needs more members so that we have more people with one another standing firm together for the gospel. That's why we want more members. That's why we want more people joining us so that when opposition comes, we have people that we can stand with. We have people that we know believe the same gospel. So when you join our church, you stand up here and you share a testimony. I know it's scary. You should be one of the most friendliest people around. You stand up here and you share that I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that he rose from the dead. And I put my trust and faith in him for my eternal life. I've repented of my sins. And when you come up here and you say that to the church body, you're not just saying, hey, I want to sign up for your club. It sounds really fun. What you're saying is like, you're saying, I need you. I I need other believers with me in this. I need a family that will come alongside me and encourage me. I need you. And then what does our church say when somebody comes up here and does that? When somebody gets baptized, our church says, yes. We say, join us. Come with us. Because we say, we need you. We need you to be a part of our church. We need your encouragement. We need your help. You become a part of our church family. It's like, we need, join us as we seek to live our lives man, worthy of the gospel. Right? We need each other's help. I've gained so much help. Uh, and uh, helping with raising our, our kids. We have young kids at home, and I, I go to those who have older kids. I say, help me to parent my kids in a way that glorifies God. Give me some wisdom. Encourage me. Help me. And you do. How great is that, right? I need that help. And you need my help. We need each other. That's why it's so important for, for this church membership, membership so that when you stand up here and say, this is the gospel that I believe in, you say, hey, Me too. I believe that same exact gospel. Let's join together. Let's stand firm with one another. There's going to be opposition that you endure. If I hear about that, I'm going to come along and I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to help you as best I can. And then when you hear me struggling in my walk with the Lord, you're going to come alongside me and say, let me pray for you. Here's how I can help you and encourage you. So I strongly encourage you to consider joining. Join with us as we seek to make the gospel known. We need to do this together. It says striving side by side. We need one another in this fight. Uh, fight against the flesh. Fight against the principalities. Back in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about standing firm, taking on the whole armor of God. We don't need to be frightened when we have one another standing side by side when we know Christ together. So in life, or in death. Oh, let me go through these. These are good ones too. We read this earlier. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. He urges the Ephesians, the Philippians, and the Colossians, same thing. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We need one another. We need one another to do this. If we're going to stand firm for Christ, We need to see that Christ is our greatest joy. 
whether in this life or in death, as all of you, I believe, yep, you're all still living. Okay, so we'll start with the in life part now. In life, Christ is our joy. He has to be our greatest joy. When you have that t-shirt that you're going to make later on this afternoon, you're going to fill in the blank. Blank is life. The rest is just details. What are you going to put there? We know what we should put there. What do you want to put there? Do you want to put Christ in that spot? I pray that you do. I pray that I do. He is our greatest joy. That is a fact. The question is, do we see it? Do we see him as our greatest joy? And are we going to live our life as Christ is the greatest joy we can have in this life? Or if we die, guess what? We'll be with Christ. And that'll be awesome too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us Christ. What a gracious gift. What a loving thing. And that thank you for giving us this gift of one another. The members here at Calvary were thankful for each other uh, that we have publicly identified, that we stand uh, on the firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that we join together in, in fighting for the faith, contending for Christ, and, and sharing the gospel with others, and we have each other's backs, and we're loving one another. Thankful for this church. We're thankful for Christ. May we find our greatest joy in living for him. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.